Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Prang Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. You can also connect with me on Twitter. Just look for Praying Medic. Now let's jump into this week's show. My guest on the show today is J.D. King, who is a friend and blogger, and today we're going to be talking about progressive revelation. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> I understand. I'm kind of the same way. I, uh, I'm back in the office. Really, today has kind of been the first day I've been back in in almost two weeks, so I, I was on a little family vacation. I did a, a minister trip up to Canada and just kind of, you know, feel like I'm getting caught up, barely. <laughs> I'm really interested in the fact that you're writing about um, progressive revelation. Do you know Richard Murray? Uh, I do not. Richard is an attorney, and he is a really amazing theologian, Mm -hmm. as well as a really out-of-the-box thinker. And he writes about a lot of the concepts that you and I were talking about the other night on progressive revelation, Yeah. where you take the Old Testament writings— and you have to sort of look at them through New Testament eyes and realize that God is unfolding a plan. He's unfolding sure. the revelation of himself, his kingdom. And if you lean too heavily on some of the earlier writings, you're going to miss some of the fullness of what he revealed later on if you don't mesh the two of them together. This is a fascinating conversation, and I kind of caught that you really like that theme. And uh you know, this is a wrestling match for me, and it probably uh, may be more so for me than it might be for you and, and others. And you know, I'm, I'm, you know, like that post that you you responded very well to is is me really wrestling out some very current questions and dynamics and things God's speaking to me about. And uh, the, quite honestly, I don't think uh, you know a lot of people in the uh, established Christian community are, are comfortable with the idea. One of the things I was trying to write about in that post, and I don't know how well I did is dealing with, you might say, the uh, the mystery or the challenge of the fact that God did and, and has moved through the older forms, but he's more than those forms. I think that's that's the, the challenge. I don't really know how to articulate that as well as I'd like. I mean, because I think sometimes those who want to embrace a, a progressive revelation idea end up coming up with a conclusion that really we would refute or reject anything prior to the fullest expression in a the, the difficulty is somehow God has moved in those past depictions, and uh, yet he's more than those depictions. And I do feel like some are ready to write off, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He almost presented as if that, that there's not value in that at all. And I don't feel like it's healthy to say that any revelation of Scripture is, is negative or bad, I do think there's something to be said about saying that, that the later revelation has fuller dimension and we need to interpret it in light of that. I do believe in progressive revelation, but it's not that God is positioning new revelation against old. I think that they're sort of both true. I, I, let me say it this way. I think it's kind of like um, Microsoft DOS program on computers. DOS maybe could be likened into old covenant realities, and obviously what is better is built onto that and is so much more dynamic. But to to position like Windows versus DOS, 
is probably not a fair characterization because it's not either, you know, it's not one against the other as much as one is a greater expression. The thing that really uh, interests me about this subject is you were talking about how God manifested himself to polytheistic cultures. Yes. Okay. So that's where you really have to start and you have to think, okay, what were these cultures like? And what were their existing views of the gods? Yes. And God had to, in a way, he had to couch his reality and his revelation in a way that these people could relate to. Exactly. And they had a limited ability to understand who he was and what his plan was and what the kingdom of darkness is like and what the spiritual world is like. Exactly. They had a very, very limited ability to appreciate that stuff. So he had to sort of dumb down, if you will. Yeah, I agree. His, his reality of who he is, because in the fullness of times, mm -hmm. he would be able to give them a fuller, more complex, more enlightened revelation. Yeah, I'm really convinced that's true. It, it, it really helps. Like you and I both have had a lot of experience of praying for people. And, you know, there's no question that it's the Father's heart to heal. You know, that's the revelation we understand. And we don't necessarily see that as clearly in some of the earlier passages of the Old Testament. But I don't really believe God changed his character or nature along the way. There's a passage, and I'm kind of, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I believe it's 1 Samuel. The, the text says that, uh, that the anger of the Lord stirred David to do a census and to count the men. And, and the text suggests, obviously, that this is something the Lord is displeased with. However, 500 years later, approximately, 1 Chronicles, I believe, says that it was actually Satan who incited David to count the men. And so you know, here you have one text suggesting it's the Lord or the anger of the Lord doing it, and another text is suggesting that it is uh, Satan. And, and I think that what we see is that a later revelation, because you know the First and Second Chronicles are some of the newest of the Old Testament books, and uh, you know there's a greater revelation that it's not in fact God that did this at all, and that maybe God wasn't causing all of the trouble that we think He was. And yeah, it's interesting because when you read the writings of Moses, Moses really doesn't write anything about Satan and the exactly. kingdom of darkness. Yeah. It was almost like an unknown entity to him. Sure. And yet Jesus comes along and Paul comes along and they have all this revelation about the schemes of Satan and the realms of darkness and demonic agendas, which the Old Testament writers didn't have. Yeah. To me, it's very valuable to look at the scriptures. And like, I'm sure you, you would agree with this. There are people who tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater and think the Old Testament's of no value at all, which is not true. And then there are people who uh, are kind of a little stuck on, on the Old Testament and they have not really gotten that revelation of the new covenant and what it means. I agree. So it's driving between the ditches. You don't want to end up in either ditch. You got to go down the middle of the road. It is, and, and I, I wrestle with this because I, you know, I fellowship on a, on a variety of levels with a variety of people. I, I'm part of a particular group that kind of has more of an optimistic end time view and uh, very covenant guys, and love these guys. And you know, I'm probably more worth where they're at, honestly. But but you know, sometimes uh, what they're saying might not be received real well by some of the other more conservative, actually church worker guys that I work with on another. Like, I love both of these people. I don't see war between covenants, uh, but what I do see is that there are traditionalists that need to really understand the glory, the goodness, and the, and the power of who the Lord really is and in and through Jesus, you know, that we're not still dealing with some kind of retributive reality. And, and the question is whether God, in fact, ever really was fully that way anyway. 
getting back to kind of our whole conversation in general, you know, uh, we believe as Christians that God stepped into time and history in order to bring revelation, to bring salvation. It's a very pivotal part of our faith that may be different than most other world religion. I mean, we believe that God entered time. And, but in doing that, you have to, in a sense, move into the time, realm, history, culture of that time, or you can't, in fact, move within time and history. And so I think the core of our conversation here that God was willing to do that and maybe convey the reality of who he is within the retributive language, within the uh, the very judicial motifs, because those do convey aspects of who he is. But the intent was all along to bring them ultimately through time, culture, and history to a greater revelation, which of course would be in Jesus ultimately. And the thing is, those revelations at that time, they did convey a partial reality of who God is, yes. but the full reality of who, who he is. Correct. They conveyed shadows and types yes. and sort of incomplete glimpses of who God is in his glory. And it's interesting to me when I think about how God has revealed himself to me personally. Years ago when I started having dreams, most of the language of my dreams was very simplistic because I didn't have a great spiritual awareness. Yeah of who God was. And so God kind of dumbed down his conversations with me to a level where I could understand what he was talking about. And Probably where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the interesting thing that I've noticed as I've looked at my dream journal over the last year, I'm having a lot more what I call conceptual dreams mm-hmm. where he doesn't speak to me in clear symbolic imagery or scenes where I see myself acting out something in a dream. Years ago, I would often see myself in a dream with my wife, with people I knew, and we were doing things. That was very typical of the dreams I used to have. The dreams I have now are very, gosh, it's so hard to describe some of them because what he's really doing is conveying these deep spiritual principles from thought to thought. It's like the Holy Spirit is um, speaking to my spirit in spiritual language. Yes. And it's very difficult to articulate in words, much less describe in pictures what is being revealed. There is this spirit-to-spirit communication. It's almost like tongues. If you were trying to interpret tongues, it's really difficult to do. And that's the kind of revelation he's giving me a lot in the last year. And that's because as I walk with him through time, his revelation to me is getting deeper and a little bit more mysterious. But definitely, it's a fuller revelation of him and his kingdom. And I see that same concept being worked out through the scriptures. He starts with some basic building blocks that most people can understand. This is what you have a grid for. This is what I'm going to reveal to you today. But realize that's not the fullness of what I want to reveal to you. It's a partial revelation of, of what I want you to know. There's more coming. When you mature, when you grow up, and as things progress and you get this, we'll have more conversations about, about how this looks in the fullness. And that's what I see going on. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. You know, these are incredible wrestling matches, you know. But, you know, there's there's a culture of people, you might say, um, pressing into God, you know, trying to, you know, maybe get things right with God. Sometimes, while this isn't preached, some people have an attitude often that they're always not quite right with God. And so it wouldn't be unusual one of our meetings for somebody, maybe they've had a bad week or two, maybe they've missed it, they've blown it. And they're really going to press in. They might do something like run forward and scrape their nose across the carpet, not not to hurt themselves, but just crying out to God. And That's a good thing. I mean, I, I want to be negative toward that. But what God's been showing me is this, that 
the person didn't necessarily have to scrape across the carpet or didn't have to do penance. A person doesn't have to jump through all these hoops. But at the same time, God will use those things and, you know, bring good out of them. God doesn't have to use so many of the forms that we use. You know, he would accept us or, or receive us if we just came to him, you know, connect with him, love him, serve him without any kind of externals. However, for most of us, that, that, that just doesn't work. So he uses, you might say, our religion. He uses our sacrifices. He uses our, our agonizing prayer. He uses our wailing. And I want to say this here, and this is something I want maybe the New Covenant people to understand, that, that God does use that, and, and that there can be some good out of that. But he, he would say, you don't have to do all that. I, you know, I'm not a God up here you know, trying to make sure I get my just penalty before I you know, I'll come near and you or that's, whatever. That's a really good way of looking at it, too, because like you, I, I know people who have some very, to me, very odd behavior before God. Yeah. <laughs> so they're very self-abasing and they feel like they need to put themselves through all this torment and agony and repentance and you know self-denial and confession of sins and all this other stuff. And like you said, if we choose to come to God that way, he'll accept us that way. But that is not the way all of us have to come to God. In mm-hmm. fact, it's probably not the preferred way for us to come to God. I, I have a lot of conversations with Jeremy Mangersheen. And I really like his relationship with God because what he does is he has this place in his soul where he knows how much he is loved by the Father. And he knows that he and the Father are cool, like God is really cool with him. And he, he doesn't feel like he has to go through all those gymnastics yeah. to please God or to appease God. Yeah. He knows that he knows that God is okay with who he is. And Jeremy operates from a place of rest where he accomplishes a lot, gets a lot of stuff done, but it's not done from striving in order to try to make God happy. Yeah. It's done from a place where he is partnering with God in all yeah. of this. And it's all from rest, and it's all from this confident knowing that he's okay with God and God's okay with him. Yeah. And I think if you get to that place, that's probably a preferred place. I think God prefers that. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've been learning that. I mean, I come, like I said, I come from a classical Pentecostal background where if you don't feel bad enough about yourself, you you probably missing God somehow. You know, the church is about feeling bad about yourself. And right, uh, you know, I've I've had some amazing breakthroughs in, in what you're talking about, and you know, just that glory and goodness and love of the Father, and you know, that sometimes the issue at hand is more relational breakdown than anything else. You know, that God God just wants to you know bring us back into a right connection relationally with him. And I mean, I think even as we're getting this and, and understanding this, uh, you know, for better or worse, you know, I think, you know, some people are at a stage where they need some of the other. I mean, they think, yeah. and I, I don't think it necessarily always serves us well to overly critique that in the sense that they're coming sincerely before the father that way. And I guess that's, that's the revelation I'm kind of trying to say that God uses our religion. It, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily good or bad. In fact, I think that's the thing. He's so big and so good that like it almost doesn't bother him. Yeah, well, I think what he does is he uses our religion to get us in the place where he really wants us. Yeah. He doesn't want us to stay in those religious postures of our heart. He will acknowledge the fact that we're there, but he wants to move us to somewhere else. Yeah, a really good illustration of this is in the book Placebo that was written by, I can't think of his name, but he was a Baptist preacher who died and went to heaven. Yeah. And he had this near-death experience testimony that is really amazing. He is taken before the throne of 
uh, the father. And because he was a Baptist preacher and he was a little bit self-righteous because he thought he was doing a whole lot of really cool stuff for God, yeah. he came to the throne of God with a little bit of pride and arrogance mm-hmm. about what he'd accomplished. And he, he was met by God's anger and rebuke. And he left the throne of God in his experience sorrowful and disappointed and really kind of loathing himself for his arrogance and presumption. So the angels take him, lead him away from the throne of God. And he goes through this experience where the angels are teaching him about the realms of heaven and, and demons. And he keeps asking the angels if he can go back and visit God again at the throne because he wants to go see him again and yeah. ask for mercy. He has this change of heart in this experience. Yes. And the angels allow him to go back to the throne of God a second time. But this time, he is much more humble. Yeah. He is much more real about his own <laughs> his own worthlessness. And yeah. when he gets to the throne of God, he meets this father who wraps him in this all-consuming love. Yeah. And he feels this embrace and this warmth and this love. And that particular encounter was really well described in the book. But it's interesting to me because I think... Some people sense their uh, worthlessness and their and the fact that they're not right with God. And when they come to meet God, they see this austere, judgmental deity standing in front of them, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, you know, I'm I'm a horrible, wicked sinner." But then that encounter changes us. Yes. And when we get real about who we are, yeah. and we get real about our works and our righteousness, and and we get real the fact that we're not all that in a bag of chips. That puts us in a place where we can go back to God and say, okay, so yeah, I'm pretty much not all that great. So what can you do for me? And when we approach him with the right heart, we find this loving father who is now the apple of his eye. We can't do anything wrong. Everything's great. Everything's cool. It's just amazing how God can use our religion and use those experiences to bring us to the place where he really wants us to be, which is seeing ourselves as a beloved child. Yeah, you're right on. I, I'm so with you on really being transformed by that love and life and really understanding the relational nature of the Father. I mean, I, those are things I've been experiencing over the last couple of years that have just been amazing. And well, Moses would be certainly conveyed pretty judicially, but you know, when, he, when Israel hit problems, he fell down, you know, face down before the Father. You know, who, who gave him the idea that he could petition God to change a situation or a circumstance? I mean, Particularly if God is just purely, you know, a retributive God, you know, who, who gave him the idea that he could stand before him and say, hey, you know, uh, would you relent? You know, I mean, so Moses knew something about the father. That I think that, that we know as well. You look at Moses, you look at Abraham, some of these key figures that seem to have a more intimate relationship. David, of course, they saw the father much more kindly and benevolently than maybe others did. And so, again, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're trying to sometimes create a discontinuity between Old and New Testament. I think the answer is to try to find a better continuity here. It's easy to set up a false dichotomy, and I don't think it's helpful. I, I think I'm in agreement with you. I don't think it helps to ignore the Old Testament. It certainly doesn't help to keep your eyes shut to the amazing promises of the New Covenant. But I think your goal and my goal are the same. Get, encourage our friends to not be maybe so one-sided in the in the discussion. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, it's kind of hard because I do feel like I'm I'm kind of in a middle spot that I don't know that very many people are in. Maybe maybe you are with me there. And I'm coming probably from more of a of a harsh judicial side to the other. I, I, I'm way over on you know the love of the Father, experiencing that goodness and joy. I mean, 
man, I'm there. Like, give it to me. Like, <laughs> you read my blog post, so you know where my heart is. Yeah. But I've, like you, I've come from, you know, the other side of the tracks. In a, you know, and I work with a lot of people, I think probably almost on a weekly basis. I, you know, I'm, I'm around a lot of people that, you know, are coming from a very rigid, harsh, and I want to, I want to transform their lives. I want to touch them. I want to encourage them. And, and, and if you beat them down and tell them that their theology is all screwed up, you're not going to help them. Absolutely not. And this, this idea we're talking about how God uses our religion, you know, this has been something really encouraging for me because it, it again shows you how big he really is. It's like, okay, I'll use that. I'll, I'll bring some good out of that. I'll take somebody's assumptions and, and go ahead and run with them and take them to another place or take them somewhere deeper. And Yeah, I mean, you have to think about how does God connect with people who don't have Bibles, both through history, before the scriptures were widely available, and even today in a lot of countries they're not, in Arab nations where the Bible is basically outlawed. Yeah. How is Jesus speaking through to Muslims through all their dreams? Yeah. And it's a lot of it has to do with cultural norms and cultural relevance. Arab cultures very highly value their dreams. Yeah. Uh, which is probably a lot of the reason why Jesus is appearing to so many Muslims through dreams. Yeah. It's because they value dreams, and God is using something they value to speak to them. It's a language they're familiar with. Yeah. You know, the Arabs are you know having these incredible dreams and actually you know coming to faith sometimes even outside the scriptures and. Right. That's that's blowing some people's mind. I'm I'm okay with that because I got a lot of friends and colleagues that are not like <laughs> saying you know how, I, I've I've had some myself and I I'm, yeah. I feel it. It's it's amazing and uh, this whole conversation we're having obviously is relevant in into the terms of healing. You know, is God really a truly good and healing God? Is he does he desire to restore the bodies, restore people's lives? And and you know, I think all the way from old to new we can say he is. And even what we don't understand as we look to the Old Testament, I think comes into greater clarity through progressive revelation. You know, the heart of the Father is to touch people's lives, to bring healing yeah. and hope and and I would tell people that, you know, who don't know this, that there is a lot of the grace of God and the goodness of God revealed in the Old Testament. You know, God was raising people from the dead and performing healing miracles and all kinds of other really cool stuff in the Old Testament all throughout. Yeah. I think it's really valuable to go back and look. I mean, it's not as obvious there as it is in the New Testament, but it's there if you look for it. Yeah, it is. There, there's a, a concept in the Old Testament that's been very powerful to me. Uh, it's Hebrew term hesed, but uh, I think it'd be translated a lot in English as loving faithfulness. You know, there's a number of passages that talk about how God has this hesed for His people. You know, this He'll keep His covenant of love for a thousand generations. You know, it's just these powerful revelations, maybe snapshots, if you will, but they speak of who He is and incredible love that is just you know it just ch- touches and changes and pursues and you know and, and really uh, I think one of the things I want to maybe suggest to some people who are of the more you know the new covenant perspective and all you know we want to continue to wrestle with what covenant really means you know, it's it's about you know it's about shared identity it's about family it's about relationship it's about all these incredible ideas and and even as we're moving toward a fresher more dynamic reality we don't want to miss the value of what you know we could find in the old testament well, I know, you know, you probably have other things I have to do. Than just I, I do have other things I have to do. I got a book to write. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's been incredible talking to you. Maybe next time we do this, I won't have to take up so much of your time. If you'd like to check out more from J.D. King, you can find his blog at worldrevivalnetwork.blogspot.com. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. 
If you have any questions or comments about this show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.